Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. Guys, you know that chronic inflammation is at the root of every degenerative disease. Inflammation is ravaging lives all over the world, causing massive amounts of unnecessary suffering. And that's why I'm so passionate about getting to the root cause of inflammation. And so I interviewed 36 of the top doctors and experts in the world to uncover the root cause factors involved with inflammation and give you the best natural healing strategies to get well naturally. And I'm giving it away for free at chronicinflammationsummit.com. That's chronicinflammationsummit.com. And you can register and you'll immediately get access to some of the amazing uh, presentations, including Kieran Krishnan, where we talked all about leaky gut, endotoxemia, inflammation, and microbiome reconditioning. That was one of the best interviews I've ever done. So fascinating, such an amazing topic. You'll get that for free when you register at the chronicinflammationsummit.com. Again, we're giving this away for free from June 6th to June 12th. But when you register today, you'll immediately get access to some of these, some of the free content, including Kieran's talk, um, once we get into the event, you'll also uh, be able to listen to Dr. Nasha Winters, and she is a holistic oncology expert, and she talks all about the cancer inflammation connection. I interviewed Dr. David Perlmutter. We talk about blood sugar, insulin, inflammation, and brain degeneration. Uh, Dr. Christine Schaffner, we talk all about biotoxin illness, lymphatic function, and neural inflammation. I mean, so many great presentations in here. Just go to the chronicinflammationsummit.com. And you'll also get access to several of my free guides, including my new inflammation crushing smoothie guide that I know that you guys are going to love. You'll find some of the best possible smoothies that you can make um, in that. So you'll get that for free immediately when you go ahead and sign up. So again, it's chronicinflammationsummit.com, chronicinflammationsummit.com. That will register you, get you a whole bunch of free gifts, including several amazing interviews I did. And then we're going to be giving the entire event away starting June 6th to June 12th, where you'll be able to listen to four or five interviews each day. So you guys are going to love this content. Again, chronicinflammationsummit.com is the place to go. This podcast is sponsored by Metabolic Reds, the tasty probiotic enzyme and polyphenol infused energy drink without caffeine used to power your brain and body. See, I believe that most people want to live longer, live healthier, lose weight, and get more energy to get through the day. But a lot of us are just too busy, and we would love something that does all of that, but in one fast and convenient way. That's why I want to introduce you to Metabolic Reds, an anti-aging nutraceutical that you drink. You see, most energy drinks leave you dealing with the midday crash. We've all experienced that. And you know, other energy boosters have a very planty, 
kind of grass-like taste that makes them hard to stomach. And that's where Metabolic Reds comes in. It was made to pack in nine different natural blends that are scientifically proven to boost energy and focus. But it also tastes awesome. It gives the energy jolt of a coffee without the midday crash. And the best part, you won't feel like you're, feel like you're forcing down another health drink. Metabolic Reds are designed to be easy to drink. It's 100% natural and it gives you the natural energy boost you've been missing. These nutrients help the most important cells of your body adapt, grow, and stay healthier longer. And since it's all natural, there's no midday crash like coffee or most energy drinks on the market. You guys got to try it for yourself to truly see how good this stuff tastes. Just go to GetReds, that's G-E-T-R-E-D-S, GetReds.com forward slash jockers to unlock your offer of a free metabolic greens with your purchase of metabolic reds. This is a cool offer because not only do you get the metabolic reds, but you'll also get a free metabolic greens, which actually tastes good. So just go to GetReds.com forward slash jockers. You guys are going to love the metabolic reds. You'll like the metabolic greens as well. But I'm telling you, this stuff tastes great, will give you energy, will provide critical nutrients that help your body heal and function better. So try it out today. This podcast is an audio recording of one of my most popular YouTube videos on statin drug side effects. Statin drugs like Lipitor and Crestor are some of the most widely prescribed medications. Most years, they're in the top five of all medication prescriptions that are written out. So many people, I mean, millions of people uh, all around the world, hundreds of millions of people are on some sort of statin medication, but they actually have tremendous side effects. And you or a loved one may actually be dealing with some of these side effects. And so in this podcast, I'm actually going to go through the major symptoms of statin drug side effects. So you can see if you may be suffering with one of these people who are more at risk of getting a statin drug side effect, what statin drugs are you actually doing in your body? and how you can get off statin drugs naturally and really improve your lipids, your cholesterol levels, your blood sugar, really dramatically improve your overall health. And so you guys are going to get a lot of value out of this. And if you know anybody that's taking statin drugs that is concerned about their cholesterol, their triglyceride, their lipid levels, concerned about maybe their blood sugar, their insulin, maybe they have prediabetes, diabetes, um, history of heart disease or family history, please share this podcast with them. The information in this podcast could literally save and transform their lives. We know that sharing is caring, so please share that with them. And also, if you have not left us a five-star review, and it would, it would mean so much. It would really mean the world to us if you could take a moment and just leave us a five-star review on Apple iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this podcast. When you do that, that actually helps us reach more people and impact more lives with this message. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for being a part of our community. And let's go into the show. Well, today we're talking about statin drug side effects, the major symptoms and support strategies. Most likely you've heard about statin drugs. They are cholesterol lowering medications. What you're going to learn in this presentation is how they work. You're going to learn about the most common statin drug side effects. You're going to learn about how they do research and how they look at absolute risk versus the relative risk of taking something like a statin drug to lower cholesterol. And 
with the idea that it's preventing heart disease. We're going to look at that. We're going to talk about really what optimal cholesterol ratios you want, what your proper LDL to HDL ratio and HDL to triglyceride ratio should look like. We're going to talk about root causes behind high cholesterol. You know, we really want to get to the root cause if we're going to try to address a problem. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the best support strategies for optimal lipids. Of course, this video is not meant to diagnose, treat, or cure any medical condition, and it's for informational purposes only. The video is not a treatment protocol and does not replace a consultation with a healthcare practitioner. You are fully responsible for what you do or don't do with the information in this presentation. With that said, we know cholesterol is critical. It's like a bus that carries, you know, we think about LDL, things like that, low density lipoprotein. Cholesterol is a component of that. It's actually a protein, uh, low density lipoprotein, the LDL, and it's carrying cholesterol along with a whole bunch of different fat soluble nutrients that it brings out to cells, phospholipids for cell membranes. And so the more oxidative stress and damage that our cells are undergoing, the more need for new phospholipids, new cholesterol, new fatty acids to line the outer layer of the cell membrane because our cell membranes are a lipid bilayer, meaning there's, there's two layers of fats on the outside of every single cell in our body. We also need fat-soluble nutrients. We need things like coenzyme Q10 LDL is helping carry that. Cholesterol is also used for bile production. Bile is how we carry toxins out of our body um, through the stool. It also helps with fat emulsification so we can digest and absorb fat. It's also antimicrobial, uh, so it helps prevent bacterial buildup in our small intestine. Cholesterol, well, I'm, I'm sorry, bile does. <laughs> Cholesterol is a key component of the bile. Um, cholesterol is also necessary for brain function, right? Brain, our brain we have a lot of cholesterol in the brain, and you'll see if we lower cholesterol too much, it's associated with neurological symptoms because cholesterol is really key for uh, the integrity of our neurons and neuronal health. So very important for that. It's also the backbone uh, for our hormones, for being able to be used to create testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. So cholesterol is used for a wide variety of things. It also turns into vitamin D, uh, uses the same precursor, squalene. And when we have UVB rays uh, against our skin, it will go down a pathway to produce colcalciferol, which is your vitamin D3. And so it's also necessary for vitamin D3. And so you can just imagine for lowering cholesterol or we're, in, we're blocking our body's own ability to produce cholesterol, it can certainly affect digestion by reducing the amount of bile. It can affect hormones like testosterone and estrogen and progesterone. So our sex hormone production, it can also affect our vitamin D levels, right? And vitamin D we know is so critical for immune health, hormonal health, brain health, of course, and cholesterol also, too low a cholesterol can also impact brain health. And so, you know, we taught, we were taught that high levels of LDL, low density lipoprotein are associated with a higher risk of heart disease. We were taught that that was, you know, the bad cholesterol and it's, you know, kind of looked at as a sort of monster in our arteries, but research is showing that LDL is extremely important for producing sex hormones, new cell membranes, and bringing fat soluble nutrients such as vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, and vitamin K to the cells to help them deal with oxidative stress and to be able to function properly. So super key. So again, we were taught LDL bad, HDL good, not necessarily the truth. However, when we're taught that, 
we were taught that any uh, total cholesterol level over 200 is a problem. And if your total cholesterol is over 100, I'm sorry, over 200, or your, and your LDL is over 100, you are often prescribed cholesterol-lowering medications. And the most common ones are statin drugs. Statin drugs block the activity of HMG-CoA reductase, which is a rate-limiting enzyme in the liver that's involved in cholesterol production. So some of the most common types of statin drugs are things like Lipitor, um, Pravacol, Zocor, right? These are really common names, Crestor, Lipitor's uh, the number one selling statin medication with over $2 billion every single year made by Pfizer. And overall, over $14 billion uh, in sales for cholesterol-lowering medications, particularly statin medications, every single year are spent in America. And over 22% of Americans over the age of 45, it's almost 25% actually, of Americans over the age of 45 are taking one of these medications. So these are extremely, you know, the most common, some of the most common medications. If you look at the most commonly prescribed medications every year, these are in the top five. Usually they're like two or three, number two or number three, oftentimes, you know, right hand in hand with uh, antidepressants and blood pressure medications for number one. And so again, statin drugs are HMG coa reductase inhibitors. That means that they block the critical rate limiting enzyme in the liver. It's hydroxymethylglutaryl coenzyme A and shorten HMG CoA. And it blocks that enzyme and it blocks the production of cholesterol. A lot of people think that we get cholesterol, that cholesterol goes up based on how much cholesterol we eat. That's not actually true. It's actually a matter of how much the liver is producing. And so really it's about liver production. And that's why the statin medications are used because they block your liver, your body's own production of cholesterol. They don't take cholesterol, you know, they don't block your absorption of cholesterol from your diet. They don't do that, right? So they don't impact the cholesterol you're consuming in your diet. They impact your body's, your liver's ability to produce cholesterol. Now, why would your liver be producing cholesterol? Because it needs it, right? So it needs it for certain things. And so if we block it, that is going to impact, you know, other mechanisms, other downstream, it's going to have downstream effects. You know, we talked about bile production. We talked about brain health, you know, a lot of different things like that. And so when we think about this, we know that again, cholesterol is essential for cellular function. The brain is 30% cholesterol and depends on a continual production from the liver makes up again, vital hormones. We talked about that T testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, and we know that low cholesterol leads to issues like fatigue. And this is just low people with um, issues where their, their liver is not producing cholesterol. It's been shown to lead to fatigue, weakness, brain problems, and different types of degenerative diseases. Taking statin medications, not only is it lower cholesterol, but it also lowers your CoQ10 levels, which is a powerful intracellular antioxidant. We know that low levels of CoQ10 result in muscle weakness because CoQ10 is critical for mitochondrial energy production, right? And so it's super critical for that. So the mitochondria become poisoned. They can't produce energy the way that they need to, lowers immunity, causes brain problems and neurological degeneration. Things like depression, Alzheimer's, dementia can all occur long-term. The most common side effects are muscle pain, weakness, erectile dysfunction, and memory loss. And this is why a lot of men, for example, who are taking cholesterol lowering medications, taking statins, are also taking 
Viagra or something for erectile dysfunction, right? It goes kind of goes hand in hand. And then we get the polypharmacy problem where we're taking multiple medications and, and, and some of those medications are just interacting or blocking or trying to override side effects that we're getting from other medications that we're taking. So again, most common side effects of statin drugs, headaches, uh, statin-associated muscular symptoms, which is called SAMS, muscle aches and weakness. A lot of people get you know, extreme muscle pain, um, and sometimes they will even get uh, muscle loss, right? And so because you know, they're taking these medications and they are getting weaker and they're not exercising because they're in pain and they, they just feel fatigued and weak, and so they start to get, you know, they start to lose muscle, uh, sarcopenia. They can also cause difficulty sleeping, skin problems like flushing, rashes, and infections, digestive problems, high blood sugar. So one of the main side effects of statin drugs is they actually cause diabetes for some individuals. And we know diabetes is associated with more inflammation in the body, right? And higher risk of heart disease. So, you know, that's a huge issue. They can also cause drowsiness, dizziness, low platelet levels, so poor clotting uh, mechanisms in the body. So they can cause a lot of different issues here. And so risk factors for statin side effects, females tend to have a greater amount of statin side effects than males over 65. So if you're over 65, you have more side effects. If you're taking multiple medications, which most people, if they are taking a cholesterol lowering medication are typically taking other medications like blood pressure medications, um, different things like that. So oftentimes these are thrown in in combination and that is a risk factor for more side effects. Small body frame, having a previous you know, liver or kidney issue uh, is another major issue. Having a vitamin D deficiency is a major risk factor for statin side effects. And on top of that, a statin drug will actually um, cause, will actually contribute even more to a vitamin D deficiency or make it harder for you to get out of a deficient state of vitamin D and optimize your vitamin D levels. And then of course, drinking too much alcohol, smoking, right? Taking poor, poor, um, having a poor lifestyle and not taking good care of yourself also increases your risk for satin side effects. Now, we'll, here's the issue, right? So we'll start to see a lot of studies that come out that talk about things like, you know, statin drugs reduce your risk by, of heart disease by 50%. For example, a 2017 study that was published in Circulation found that statin drugs can decrease coronary heart disease-related death by 28% in men. Now, that may sound great, but once you dig deeper into the research, it may not be as impressive. You see, there's a difference between relative and absolute risk. And this is so important to understand. Let's say drug A can reduce your risk of developing your, your uh, heart disease by, by you know, 0.5%, for example. That's your absolute risk. On the other hand, drug B can decrease your risk by bringing it down from 0.5 to 0.25%. So instead of a half a percent, right? It's bringing it down from a half a percent to 0.25 or a quarter percent. Now, the question is, how is that reported? There's two ways to go about it. Your relative risk was lowered by 50%. So you could say, you know, this drug reduced your risk of heart disease by 50%, but it only took you from, from a 
half a percentage to a quarter of a percentage, but they'll communicate it as if it reduced your risk by 50%. Or the other way, so that's your relative risk. The other way to report is the absolute risk, which means that drug B only lowered the risk by a mere 0.25%, so a quarter percent. Reporting the relative risk sounds much more impressive and can inflate the benefits of a medication or other treatment. And that's what often happens with statin drug studies. A 2017 meta-analysis published in The Lancet looked at 26 randomized trials. They found that statin drugs can decrease mortality by 10% for every 39 milligrams per deciliter. However, if you look at the trials closer, the mortality rates went from 2.3 to 2.1% for every 39 milligram per deciliter, resulting in only a 0.2% absolute risk reduction. Looking at vascular-related death, statin drugs only decreased death from 1.3 to 1.2%. And of course, every single life matters, and some may argue that even 0.2% risk reduction matters. Of course it does. But if we're looking at the big picture, 98.2 out of 100 high-risk people will not see any heart health benefits from statin drugs. The 1.8 remaining individuals who do see benefits will only live about six months longer on average and a maximum of one year longer versus those who didn't take statin drugs. Not to mention, these statistics are only true for high-risk individuals, which are middle-aged men who've already had at least one heart attack. That's currently not much evidence that statin drugs can benefit men without pre-existing heart disease. You know, it really isn't good research on that. There's also no evidence that they can help women with or without a heart condition. And we talked about how women are have a higher likelihood of having a statin drug side effect as well. On top of that, there was a, a study that was done that showed that uh, one in 50 people taking statin drugs developed diabetes and one in 10 were harmed with muscle damage, right? And so, you know, honestly, the, the reality of it is that statin drugs really don't offer a very good absolute risk reduction when it comes to heart disease and they pose, you know, pretty significant side effects. So how do these side effects work? Well, again, we know that blocking HMG CoA reductase blocks the, syn the synthesis or the creation of cholesterol, which prevents respiratory chain complexes and protein prenylation. And that reduces the overall mitochondrial number and function. You see, statins block the synthesis of CoQ10 by, you know, CoQ10 is necessary, uh, the production is necessary, and HMG CoA reductase plays a role in that. And we know CoQ10 is essential for mitochondrial ATP production, Low CoQ10 is associated with SAMS, again, which is statin-associated um, muscular soreness. A deficiency of CoQ10 and mitochondrial dysfunction are associated with SAMS, fatigue, worsening memory and brain degeneration, diabetes, neuropathy, and higher levels of inflammation. So we get a lot of issues there because we have mitochondrial dysfunction based on what these statins are doing. And we know that mitochondria are critical for producing all the energy in our body. They're so critical for that. So we can't function and thrive without healthy mitochondria. Now let's take a look at LDLs. We know that there's a difference between large LDL particles, mid-sized and small LDL particles. 
So we are taught that LDLs, all LDLs are bad, but actually large LDL particles have a lot on their bus. And so they're bringing a lot of phospholipids, they're bringing, you know, cholesterol, triglycerides, and CoQ10 and all those different nutrients, vitamin A, vitamin E, all those fat-soluble antioxidants to the cell. And they are very healthy and actually higher levels of large LDL particles have been shown to be cardioprotective, whereas small LDL particles, these small dense LDL particles have less phospholipids, less um, antioxidant defense, and they're more prone to oxidation. So they're the bad cholesterol. And small LDL particles are associated with high insulin levels, right? And so we call the large LDL particles pattern A LDL and the small ones pattern B. And so we know that there's low levels of fat-soluble antioxidants like vitamin E in your pattern B and your small dense particles. And these small dense particles can fit through the endothelial lining of the blood vessels where they kind of get caught in the blood vessel and get oxidized and cause damage to the blood vessel wall. So they are associated with poor blood vessel relaxation. They're pro, again, prone to oxidative damage and inflammation, creating plaque. So we don't want these small LDLs, but we do want the large pattern A LDLs. And so we also, of course, want our HDLs. HDLs are basically, you know, kind of the return mechanisms. So they are high density lipoproteins. So the LDL drops off its cargo, returns back, and it's an HDL, right? Because it doesn't have as much um, fat. So it has more higher density and it acts as an antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, <clears throat> helps remove cholesterol from the vessel walls, and it has an anticoagulant um, <clears throat> benefit as well, HDL does. Now, of course, we know inflammation is really at the root of cardiovascular disease, and we know that insulin and insulin resistance, when our body's not responding well to insulin, and insulin's job is to take sugar out of the bloodstream and put it into cells, when we don't respond well to that, it drives up inflammation, drives up things like C-reactive protein, interleukin-6, tumor necrosis factor alpha, these different cytokines, and they are all associated with increased risk of heart disease, stroke, and heart attack. We know that a C-reactive protein greater than two is puts you at much higher risk for heart disease. Ideally, we want it under one. We want that C-reactive protein, that inflammatory protein under one for you know healthy, uh, for good cardiovascular health and lower levels of inflammation in the body. So when we're looking at the lipid profile, what I'm typically looking at, now total cholesterol, I usually like to see that somewhere between 180 and 300. But if it's if it's over 300, I don't freak out, okay? I look at other ratios. The most important ratio that I look at is the triglyceride to HDL ratio. That should be two to one or less, ideally close to one to one, meaning you know, your triglyceride should always be under 100. And let's say they're at 80, right? Then your HDL should be as close to 80 as possible. We should always be under two to one ratio of triglyceride to HDLs but we ideally are close to one to one ratio. And that tells me that wherever your LDL level is, okay, let's say your LDLs are 200, 250, wherever that falls, those are in large part, the large buoyant pattern A LDL particles that are healthy for the body. So I don't, I don't worry or concern myself 
um, with those or trying to lower those because the triglyceride HDL ratio is good. I also look at your fasting insulin, kind of see where your insulin levels are. That's also an important measurement. Now, in general, we like to see the LDL to HDL ratio three to one or less, close to two to one. So let's say you had 80 HDL, your LDL, let's say it was around 160, 170. That's a great ratio. However, there is a certain body type. We call them lean mass hyper responders. And I'm actually one of them where lean mass hyper responders, when they're on a low carb, kind of when they, when their insulin goes down, they're on a low carb diet, they do intermittent fasting. They end up with uh, higher levels of LDL. So their LDL to HDL ratio will be more than three to one. Their total cholesterol is often up over 300. And what we found, but their triglyceride HDL ratio is good, right? It's optimal. And what we found is that these people really don't have any signs of inflammation in their body. They're not at risk of cardiovascular disease. Um, everything is actually fine, even though they have this ratio because they don't have other factors. Their C-reactive protein is good. Their fasting insulin is great. Blood sugar is great. Um, so all those other markers are optimal. So these people are, are not at risk. So again, that is why I don't put as much weight in your LDL to HDL ratio, your total cholesterol, but I do put weight in your triglyceride to HDL ratio, which should again be two to one or less and close to one to one. Hey guys, I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about one of my favorite food products. I mean, if you're out there and you're looking for healthy snack options or, you know, really healthy food, sometimes it can be hard to find a gut-friendly, gluten-free snack option. And that's why you need to know about Paleo Valley. They're 100% grass-fed beef and 100% pasture-raised turkey meat sticks are not only loaded with delicious flavor, but they are completely free of carbs and sugar. Such a great bioavailable protein snack to grab on the go. I oftentimes will eat them with meals too. Like if I eat a meal and I'm still a little bit hungry, feel like I need a little bit more protein and healthy fats, I go ahead and have them. You know, they're gluten-free, they're soy-free, they're dairy-free, GMO-free, preservative-free. I mean, what's not to love about that? On top of that, they actually also have probiotics in them as well. So you're getting the protein, healthy fats, and you're getting probiotics, lots of key minerals and nutrients in there, and they taste amazing. And now you can use my coupon code, JOCKERS, just my last name, J-O-C-K-E-R-S, to get 15% off your order today. Simply go to their website, paleovalley.com, and enter JOCKERS at checkout, and you'll receive 15% off your entire purchase. The link and discount code are also available in the show notes of today's episode. Once you try these meat sticks, you won't be able to get enough. My kids and I absolutely love them, and I know your family will too. So try them out today. Now, what are some factors that cause poor cholesterol and lipid ratios? Well, the top things we have to address are poor diet, a diet that's high in processed foods, um, foods that are high glycemic, High, either high glycemic index or glycemic load where they elevate up your blood sugar and your insulin levels, foods that are high in uh, processed seed oils, sunflower, cottonseed, peanut oil, safflower, so, uh, sunflower, soybean, corn oil. These things cause more inflammation in the body. They also lead to insulin resistance. A sedentary lifestyle is another big issue, right? We need to move. Movement is life. And so we need to be moving 
moving helps stress our body and stimulate um, better metabolic flexibility and our better ability to burn fat for fuel. Chronic stress is a big issue. Insulin resistance, like I talked about, hypothyroidism because thyroid hormone helps activate, uh, T3 helps activate the LDL receptor at the cell. So we're able to get the activity of LDL into the cell and get the, you know, basically it's like a car, it's like a, a dock for the boat, right? Or a bus stop where now the bus can stop, unload its passengers, right? And go back into action without good enough, a, a good amount of thyroid hormone. We're not able to stop the bus and unload. And so we just end up with more and more LDL building up in the bloodstream. So hypothyroid is key. Food sensitivities can drive up inflammation and possibly LDL, as well as triglycerides. Lack of sunshine, because again, we know that sunshine is so critical for activating squalene and turning it down into the vitamin D pathway and away from cholesterol buildup pathway. Um, poor sleep and sleep apnea are, are big factors, right? Sleep apnea is very much associated with insulin resistance, as well as high triglycerides and higher risk of heart disease. A sluggish liver and bile flow. This is actually how we recycle out um, older cholesterol is through bile, right? And getting it out through the feces. And of course, we know smoking and heavy alcohol use is also a big factor, can drive up inflammation in the body, drive up insulin resistance, cause a lot of different problems, including poor cholesterol lipid ratios. So top foods and food ingredients that promote inflammation, again, you know, starches, sugars, refined carbohydrates, Okay, we're also talking about trans fats, partially hydrogenated oils, highly processed vegetable oils, food additives and preservatives, um, and also conventionally raised animal products in some cases for some individuals because oftentimes they have, they have things like glyphosate, herbicides, pesticides, um, antibiotics, and they've been bioaccumulated into the animal products. This is why I always recommend grass-fed, organic, and wild caught animal products, right? Pasture raised, organic, and then with seafood, we're talking about wild caught. You're gonna end up with less toxins, more nutrients. And that's really what you should always be thinking when it comes to nutrition. So how do I minimize toxins and maximize nutrients? So we gotta eat right. Now, signs you're dealing with insulin resistance. So this is a big factor. And um, you know, there's so many people out there that are undiagnosed pre-diabetics. They tend to be overweight, you trouble losing weight. So you, you follow a good nutrition plan and you're exercising regularly, but you just can't seem to lose weight. And so insulin resistance is associated with that sort of weight loss resistance. You have a large appetite. So you eat food, but then you're craving sweets after meals. And that's because your insulin levels are not able to get sugar into the cells because your cells are not responding to insulin. And therefore your cells are actually starving, but you have tons of calories in your floating around in your bloodstream, right? You have high blood fats, high blood sugar as well. Um, and that's a major issue. You're eating sweets. So then you eat sweets. And again, it doesn't relieve the cravings, right? So you eat more sweets after your meal, but you still can't get it into the cells. So now you just feel really tired after your meal. You also have a frequent thirst and urge to urinate because that's actually how you eliminate some of the excess sugar that's in your bloodstream. Um, some hormonal problems, like for example, for women, polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS is associated with insulin resistance. Also, acne is another big one. It's associated with insulin resistance. For men, they end up typically with testosterone dominance, 
I'm sorry, low testosterone. Females will end up with estrogen or testosterone dominance. So for females, high insulin can cause estrogen surges and or testosterone surges. So for some women, just genetically, when they have high insulin, they have higher testosterone, which causes PCOS and acne. Um, for other women, they have higher estrogen, which can cause things like endometriosis, um, you know, a, a lot of mood swings, right? Different issues like that. Weight loss resistance is common with that, with, with higher estrogen in women. For males, they end up with low estrogen, low, I'm sorry, low testosterone because they have higher levels of aromatase, which is an enzyme that takes uh, testosterone and converts it into estrogen. So for males, they end up with low testosterone, high aromatase, again, converting testosterone into estrogen, and oftentimes skin tags. Skin tags can occur in men and women, but they tend to be more common in men. Um, and for both men and women with insulin resistance, they can end up with skin pigmentation changes, kind of like a darkening or an oxidation, like an age spot. Uh, that's really common. And then also high blood pressure and high triglycerides uh, are associated with insulin resistance as well. So again, going back to thyroid, we know thyroid hormone affects lipid metabolism. So when we have hypothyroidism, it decreases the fractional clearance of LDL by the liver. So it decreases the number of LDL receptors and LDL receptor activity. It also decreases the catabolism of cholesterol into bile. So T3 negatively regulates liver-specific enzyme cholesterol 7-alpha-hydroxylase. And so we get less uh, cholesterol breakdown. And, and um, so we end up with actually very thick, very, very, very thick bile um, that doesn't move very well. And that's a big issue. And so overt hypothyroidism is associated with hypercholesterolemia um, and also marked by, you know, high amounts, high major increases in LDL uh, cholesterol. And so that's a big factor there. Hypothyroid symptoms, Okay, so the way that I know somebody has hypothyroid is I look at their hair, particularly their outer third of their eyebrows, and we'll often see thinning in the outer third of their eyebrows. Also, I look at kind of just their neck area and see if there's any sort of swelling. We see thyroid um, nodules and things like that very commonly. So a lot of times they have just some thickening in their neck. That can be common. Um, I'll ask them about their hands. Do they have cold hands and feet? That's really common with hypothyroidism. Decreased libido, very common. Depression, poor memory, because thyroid hormone helps activate the mitochondria in all the cells. So lower body temperature is, a, is another common one. Constipation. So these are big things that I'm looking at um, to see if somebody has hypothyroidism. Of course, we're looking at labs as well to see what's happening with thyroid hormone metabolism. Now, food sensitivities. They are different than food allergies. Food allergies are very quick, right? And possibly life-threatening. So you know immediately if you have an egg allergy, okay, you, your lips start swelling up, okay? You, you know, you could, your heart starts racing. So you could have, you know, an anaphylactic shock by eating something that you're allergic to, like peanuts or whatever it is. Whereas food sensitivity can take up to 72 hours before you actually notice any symptoms. Most common food sensitivities are things like wheat, gluten, uh, dairy in general, corn, eggs. Of course, sugar is a common one. Um, in some cases, nightshade vegetables like tomatoes, peppers, 
um, potatoes, eggplant, that's all in that nightshade family, tree nuts. Uh, so just nuts in general can be a common food sensitivity. Coffee can be a, a common food sensitivity. So these are all things to look out for. And your typical symptoms, again, they can come on 24 hours later, 48 hours later. Typical symptoms, bloating, joint pain, tiredness, um, constipation, diarrhea, eczema in some cases. It can affect your brain, low mood, headache, weight gain, right? So again, not deadly, but causes you not to thrive. So these are things to look out for. And there are a lot of people that food sensitivities are causing inflammation, which can drive up, um, you know, LDL drive down, HDL drive up triglycerides, right? So for some individuals, it's how their body responds to a food sensitivity is it ends up creating this level, this inflammatory reaction that causes worsening in their insulin resistance. And then vitamin D deficiency. We know that so many people are deficient in vitamin D. Vitamin D plays such a critical role in every system of the body. And so most people are, are you know, 75% of Americans are deficient in vitamin D. And that's just getting to 30 nanograms per milliliter. Where we really want it is, you know, up over that. We want it roughly um, between 50 and 100 nanograms per milliliter. And the reason why it plays such an important role with cholesterol is, again, because of this, it shares the same backbone, which is squalene. And squalene, when exposed to sunlight, will go down the vitamin D pathway. When it's not exposed to sunlight, it can turn into cholesterol, which, you know, again, we need a, a certain amount of cholesterol is very healthy. However, if we're not getting that sun exposure, we can end up with more than we really need. And so that's key. Now, best routine blood labs for arterial health in general, I'm looking at blood sugar analysis, looking at your fasting insulin, your hemoglobin A1C and see how much glycation is taking place. Ideally, I like to see that under 5.2, 5.2% of your hemoglobin uh, being, being um, glycated, right? Or less. So, you know, if you're up at that 5.5, 5.6, 5.7 range, that's high. That's a high percentage of glycation taking place in your hemoglobin. That's a sign your blood sugar has been too high. We're also looking at inflammatory markers, things like high sensitivity C-reactive protein. We want that under one. Your LDH, lactose dehydrogenase. We're looking at that enzyme and seeing how well your body's metabolizing sugar. And that should be between 140 and 180. When it's up higher, it's a sign of inflammation, particularly, you know, uh, heart inflammation is often associated with high LDH. And then if it's low, under 140, it's a sign of reactive hypoglycemia where your body's not good at utilizing sugar for energy when the blood sugar goes down, right? It's not regulating your blood sugar well. Um, we're looking at homocysteine. I like to see that between six and nine and serum ferritin. Serum ferritin, I'm looking at keeping it under 150. So for, for women, typically between 50 and 150, because I don't want it to get too low. It's a storage form of iron. I don't want you to be anemic. So under 50, we're starting to trend in the wrong direction where we don't have enough stored iron, but up over 150, now we, are, we, have, we have too much. And that's an, actually an acute marker of oxidative stress because the body puts its iron in storage as a way of kind of protecting free iron from getting into the hands of different infectious agents like bacteria and parasites and things like that. So we're looking out for that. And then of course, that lipid panel looking at triglycerides, HDL and LDL. Now, best strategies to improve 
uh, your cholesterol and lipid ratios, of course, anti-inflammatory nutrition plan. We need to be doing intermittent fasting on a regular basis. You know, you guys know I'm a huge advocate of that, at least a 16, eight, uh, 16 hours fasting, eight hour eating window, eat from 10 a.m. to six or, you know, 12 to eight. And if you can even narrow it to a six hour window and eat from, let's say 1 p.m. to seven or 12 to six, you're gonna get even better benefits for improving your insulin sensitivity, reducing inflammation in your body and improving your um, triglyceride to HDL ratio. Regular exercise, particularly strength training, super important here. Watching out for food sensitivities. So if you are noticing that you're, you're just not reacting well when you're consuming a certain food, take that out of your diet. We wanna support thyroid health, of course. If you have hypothyroidism or subclinical hypothyroidism where it's not at the level where it's diagnosed, but you know that you're trending in that direction, we gotta support that and get your thyroid levels where they need to be. We wanna reduce stress, get regular sun exposure, get that UVB sun exposure, optimize your sleep habits, and of course, support liver health and bile flow. Some of the best things for supporting liver and bile flow are all your bitter types of herbs. We say bitter is good for your liver, it really helps thin the bile, and move the bile out. Things like apple cider vinegar, artichokes, lemon and lime. Uh, so just putting some of that in your water or putting it on your food. Parsley is great. Cucumbers, celery, mint, cilantro, radishes, milk thistle, um, sauerkraut or kimchi, green tea, drinking green tea, using ginger, turmeric, and dandelion greens. I'm sure that one of those in there, one or two of those, um, you could be doing on a regular basis. You know, eat some celery, munch on some radishes, have some sauerkraut with your meals, drink green tea in the morning, right? Or have apple cider vinegar in your water or put it in your food. You know, that's going to really help with thinning out the bile, getting the bile flowing, all your digestive juices, your stomach acid, your bile, pancreatic enzymes. It's going to really help activate that for better digestion and also clear out excess bile and help you detox. Now, for some individuals, you know, we'll use some supplementation as well to help optimize their cholesterol ratios. I really like BioFlow support. This works great. It's got a lot of different things, uh, including dandelion in there. Um, it's got bile salts, choline and taurine uh, in there as well, a bunch of different herbs to really support good quality bile flow, thin out the bile, support good bile flow. And it also supports overall healthy cholesterol levels as well. There's some compounds in there, including um, inositol uh, that help to uh, basically optimize your cholesterol levels. And so bioflow support works great with that. And then we'll oftentimes combine it with like a good binder, like activated charcoal or something like that to help grab and bind the bile in the digestive system so it doesn't recirculate and um, get back into the system and the body can move it right out, right? And so activated charcoal is great for that, really good as a gut binder and will help bind to the, the excess bile and help pull it out. So hopefully this has been helpful, guys. And of course, I got a lot of resources on my website when it comes to statin drug side effects, when it comes to optimizing your cholesterol ratios. So be sure to check that out, drjockers.com. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this you know, be sure to give me a like, a five-star review, and also share it with anybody that you know that you care about that may be taking statin drugs. Um, it could literally help save and transform their life. So thanks again, guys, and everybody be blessed. 
Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.